Hello and welcome to the internet's only podcast about comic books and movies that exists. And I checked and I couldn't find any other ones in the whole in the whole internet. Uh, welcome to Army of Crime. I am your co-host Matt, and this is my co-host slash sidekick Dustin. Just kidding. He does all the real work. How's it going, Dustin? Pretty good. How are you? This, uh, I'm I'm pretty good. Just you know, living life. Cool beans. Yeah. All right. See you later. All right. Bye. Just kidding. That was a funny joke. Good one, Matt. I believe yeah, actually we're gonna do a podcast episode here. Yes, we have two things here that if I wanted to try and connect them somehow, I would say they both star young people. They're kind of both coming-of-age stories, actually. Sort of. Sort of. He's not buying it. Uh, we are looking at the original graphic novel, Hellboy Midnight Circus. We are on sort of a Hellboy streak. And why not? Because Hellboy's good. And the movie How I Live Now. I guess we can talk about the movie. So I don't even remember why I picked this movie to like for us to watch. To I was gonna I was gonna ask you why you did that because it's as I was as I watched it and then kind of looked it up afterwards, it is adapted from a, an award winning young adult novel. I actually did not know that is my uh, and yeah, it it's it's this really like odd blend of like a sort of apocalyptic World War Three scenario blended with a young adult, like, first love teenage infatuation story. Yeah, it it's, was very odd. Did you find that... So my, I was going to ask you why did you make me watch this movie, but it sounds like you don't know. I don't remember why. I think I just saw some kind of blurb about it being weird oh, you, or you something. you saw a blurb. Or said in the near future or something, or it's like light science fiction or something set in the near future. Um, well, it has Sp Spider-Man in it. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't actually remember what the exact reason was that I that I picked to watch it. Yeah, it's a very odd movie. So essentially, it's like a teenage romance story that takes place in the near future that has an impending World War Three as the backdrop. Um, and there was elements of it that I thought were interesting with that very odd juxtaposition of elements. And going into this, I really didn't know exactly how it was going to play out. You know, we talk about like a teenage love story and teenagers are, of course, extremely self-centered by nature. It's not their fault. They only have half of their brains developed. And, you know, a stereotypical teenage love story is that they feel like the world is ending and everything is like super duper important and the world is coming to an end and everything is very like immediate right so then it's a weird scenario when possibly the world is actually going to end and everything actually is really important yeah there is a kind of intuitive logic to combining the kind of apocalyptic overwhelming feelings of a teenage romance with an actual apocalypse um the only problem is that i don't feel like this film actually 
successfully succeeds in sort of combining these things. And I will tell you why, but first I will say that there is something uh, like an early part of the film that I actually thought was effective in a kind of interesting way, which is, so they're at this kind of rural house on this like farm in England and the main character who's played by Saoirse Ronan is an American teenager who's here staying with some cousins over the summer and some kind of unspecified war breaks out and the cousin's mom, her aunt, is out of the country at the time. So then it kind of ends up being like these kids and they retreat. You know, they don't uh, run to the city or actually try to do what like sensible adults would do in this situation. They just kind of treat it as like a summer vacation where they're just kind of in their own little world and they can just do whatever they want. And I thought that was kind of an interesting view of how, you know, like people might treat, you know, people who are like halfway between children and adults might, you know, like take advantage of this situation. I think then later it kind of turns into more of a straightforward uh, war story. And the overarching plot of the film involves Sersha Ronan and this little girl who's her cousin attempting to get back to this farm to get back home. Like she has this obsession with getting back, you know, getting back home where everything will be safe and everything will go back to normal and getting back with her cousin who she is in love with. The uh, incest angle is not really explored, but she has a uh, intense love affair with this guy. And that's like kind of her first like big love. And so she wants to get back to him and get back to the farm. And I feel like the film never actually sort of grapples with the reality of those being like fairly trivial and fairly uh, wrongheaded things in a time of actual war. The film basically treats those kind of goals the on, with the same level of seriousness that the main character con, uh, like treats them. Yeah, I thought there was a lot of parts of it that were interesting and there's a lot of other parts that hew very close to a conventional kind of story and so you end up with kind of a mixed bag there's like there's a there's a scene in the movie where they're like having a picnic um and it starts snowing and they hear like a loud sound and you know it never explicitly tells us but uh at that moment we you can kind of deduce but then we we later learn that like a nuclear bomb went off and this is like ash that's falling um, and, they, and they don't realize that at first. And it's that interesting juxtaposition of elements. And I think that it's an angle we don't often see because these are like regular people trapped in some kind of war zone. And they don't really do anything heroic, right? They're not like cool people who, who go around fighting things. They're mostly just trying to to hide out somewhere. And I thought a lot of those elements were interesting. The juxtaposition of them being kids and they're kind of unsupervised. So they're on like this summer vacation while a war is breaking out. But as you kind of mentioned, it, it, it kind of veers into a lot of conventional things. And I'm not sure if that's an adaptation problem. And yeah, they're running through. It made me think of actually what it made me think of as a contrast is things like the Hunger Games or... Um, divergent and Allegiant because these dystopian sort of young adult novels. And by contrast, this is not really very heroic. Like the main character, I mean, she like accomplishes things and, and does things, but she's not like a hero character, right? 
and of course living in some kind of um desperate situation like that you know you're you're like sleeping in the woods and looking for food in the garbage and stumbling across mass graves and stuff and it's certainly a more grounded take but it, it does veer conventional in a lot of ways and like i said i don't know if that's the adaptation fault or if that's how the book is that it's adapted from but there's a lot of interesting elements and then you kind of end up with a with a sort of conventional story once everything shakes out i don't know if that's kind of what you were getting at well i was just getting at the fact that like in an actual time of war her desire to get back home and get as if everything will then go back to normal uh doesn't really make a lot of sense and right and i think that could work as a story because she is a teenager if you like land some kind of ending right but in the film it actually does kind of I mean, it doesn't like really work out that way. I'm like, I'm not, and I won't like spoil the ending. But I don't think the film actually does not seem to understand that that is a goal that doesn't really make sense in in a war. And you know, the ending of the film, um, I guess I won't say what it is. As far as like, it's it's kind of like a a bittersweet ending. It doesn't like give you like a super happy ending. Um, but like, yeah, I don't think the film actually really uh, reckons with how these teenage desires and teenage love and her like goal of just like getting back home as if things would go back to normal. Like none of that really matters and none of it really is like of equal importance. And the film kind of like doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to recognize that. Like there's, I think it's proposing. It's like proposing those ideas. Like, what if you felt like the world was ending because you're in love, but also the world is ending? And then I feel like it kind of pulls back from it and doesn't really dive headfirst into that, which could be more interesting. The Yeah, of playing with the fact that that is a very contradictory, her frame of mind versus the situation she's actually in. Like there are some like dream sequences where she's like thinking about this guy that she's in love with. And I felt that that was kind of, uh, it was not effective for me just because, like I said, they're in this actual, um, like, life and death situation. And even though for the character, it can feel like, like this is, you know, more important than actual, than an actual war. I don't know that the film ever really understands that it is in fact not more important than an actual war. You're saying love isn't more important than World War III? Right. Okay. So overall, you just felt it was kind of meh? Like I said, there was, um, I, I think like the first half is kind of interesting. And then I felt like it didn't really um, come together. I mean, it's it's an odd thing like we were talking about, it's basically like a combination of like a young adult teen romance with a apocalyptic World War Three scenario. And it I don't know that it effectively balances those two things against each other in a way that gives them both the weight that they deserve. Yeah, I, I would actually agree that about the first half of it, uh, I was kind of on board with the weirdness that was happening because you have them as teenagers and they're in the countryside and of course you have this you know beautiful vistas of the uh pastoral english countryside and they're like living in a barn which is the kind of thing that you might think makes sense when you're a teenager um 
and you have news broadcasts in the background that they're not really paying that much attention to, right, because they're kids about bombs going off and that sort of thing. And I actually, yeah, I think that first half is, is kind of interesting because they are putting these different elements together and the kids aren't really taking it seriously, right, in the way that we would if as adults or someone should. Um, and they're sort of let down, of course, because um, the mom character isn't really keeping track of them. And then, yeah, it kind of spins into this other thing. And I would agree with you that the thing that it ends up morphing into is not as effective as the as the thing that it starts out as. So overall, are you glad that past Matt picked this film to discuss for reasons that are now lost to the sands of time? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm glad that I watched it or not. I think if, if with some kind of different ending, I think it, I'm not sure what that ending would have been, but I remember when I was getting close and there's about 20 minutes left, I was thinking like, man, you really got to have a really good ending if you're going to land this, because I felt like we were kind of spinning the wheels. I think some uh, some kind of really good ending, and like I said, I'm not sure what that would have been, could have tied it back all together somehow. There was some nice imagery, like you have her like running, I think there's a scene where they're running at night and there's like flaming houses in the background, and it's that normal society turned like 180 degrees into a war zone into like some kind of fascist state but i'm 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 pretty i'm pretty mixed on it i'm pretty meh you know it's interesting because there are actually a lot of or at least several off the top of my head movies about like children or teenagers in wartime so it's not like that the fact that it's starring a teenager who is not like a soldier and that there's a war going on i don't think there's no reason why it couldn't have worked better but yeah i don't know that it really all gels yeah it's a lot of disparate elements that kind of bounce up against each other well should we uh get on to another thing that is also something yes a thing that also exists and is also, I guess they're both coming-of-age stories, maybe? I don't know. Um, Hellboy Midnight Circus is an original graphic novel uh, starring Hellboy. And it takes place when Hellboy is in his... Hellboy has, like, distinct life phases that he has adventures in each of. And this is, like, Kid Hellboy, where he enjoys eating pancakes and wants to show everyone how cool he is. And he wants to run away and join the circus which is a thing that kids want to do, right? Except he's Hellboy, so it's an evil circus. It is a bit of an evil circus. And I should we should mention, too, this graphic novel is written by Mike Mignola and drawn by Duncan Fagrido. And I think, I mean, there are a lot, there is a few different ways to talk about this. It's, a, yeah, it's about Hellboy when he's a kid and he runs away. And he is basically just like lonely and wants to be a kid and is curious and, you know, wants to have some kind of an adventure. And he, yes, there's an evil circus. And the it sort of references um, the Ray Bradbury uh, story, Something Wicked This Way Comes, and also Pinocchio. There's a some like elements of uh, Pinocchio in there as well. And it like directly references that. Mike McNola really likes puppets. Oh yeah. He's like all in on puppets. Always, always with puppets all the time. 
yeah, so Pinocchio is like his, you know, ideal thing in the world. Um, and because, of course, like Pinocchio, Hellboy just wants to be a real boy. But what I was going to say is that Duncan Figrido does this really interesting thing where the uh, he like adopts like different like art styles at, for like uh, distinct like segments of the story. Like it starts out in what's like a more kind of like familiar like art style that you might expect for like a Hellboy or a BPD BPRD story. And then once Hellboy uh, reaches the Midnight Circus it kind of adopts this more like like a painted style and then later there's like flashbacks to or there's like excerpts from the book pinocchio as they're talking about the book pinocchio and i think later even there's also like another segment that kind of oh yeah there's a flashback of these two like child murderers whose ghosts hellboy also runs into so it, I thought it was, uh, I was like really impressed just as the story goes on, the way that he shifts, can like really effectively shift the look of the comic depending upon, you know, like what's happening in the scene. Duncan Figrido is, you know, pretty phenomenal. Like, I don't know if he's as good of a Hellboy artist as... Mike Mignola, but he might be right, you know, right behind him. Yeah, the art is amazing. And being an ignorant um, buffoon of a human, uh, I initially thought that there was multiple artists on this because he does such a good job of switching art styles. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks the difference. It's like, like a painted, it's like a painted style for the circus. And then like a more conventional style for the rest of it. And it does the interesting thing. And we talked about this in the episode on Hellboy in Hell and the interesting mythic storytelling that Mike McNola does, where you sort of careen from element to element and you don't necessarily stop to explain it because it follows a sort of dream logic. Right. So Hellboy runs away to join the circus. He's like and then he meets the child murderers who are like back in time and they, and they're at the same location and it doesn't all have to like match up exactly because it's following like that dream logic or that myth logic um and reading more things from the hellboy mythos we know who these people are and why they're connected to him the entire hellboy story is now finished and having read the entire ending this actually makes more sense and it references some things from that um and it actually ties in pretty strongly to hellboy in hell it does because like most Hellboy stories, it's all about him and his destiny and it grappling with that. And of course, as a kid, he doesn't really have any understanding of what that is. And you do kind of, you do feel for him because as a kid, he just wants to like do normal kid stuff. But he meets a character who, depending upon how familiar you are, you are with the Hellboy continuity. And I don't even know if they say this explicitly in the book, but uh, that's his uncle that he yeah. meets and his and sister. It, right. It does not say that because I remember when I read this originally, I did not know that. And it makes a lot more sense when you know that. Um, it mentions the the woman refers to the man as her uncle. But we, we wouldn't necessarily know that that's Hellboy's uncle. So, yeah, those are his family members. And they're trying to, like, suck him into something because they're always trying to get him to, like, accept his destiny as the destroyer of worlds. Um, all of which goes completely over his head. Right. In, in, as the story is actually happening. Right. 
because he is um, just a kid. And I thought there was actually a, a couple of really great like kid moments where Duncan Figueroa does a great job of like drawing um, like his expression. Like I love when he is reading. There's like a this scene where he's like reading these or uh, this like Lobster Johnson comic book, and then they take him to the library and they're like, here, read this, read this real book instead. And they give him like Pinocchio. And then there's like a panel of his like confused face where he's like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And like, there's a lot of like really, I think really nice little moments of him being like a really expressive and really like inquisitive little kid who of course he relates to Pinocchio more than a normal kid because as I said, you know, he himself wants to be a real boy, but he, he cannot. Yeah. And again, having read the ending of Hellboy and reading this, it gives it a, a weight that I, it certainly didn't have when I first read it. Right. Hellboy but... is a whole like mythic saga and reading just this, this original graphic, this um, side note, I don't like the term original graphic novel. We should just call them graphic novels. And I just did it like twice. Um, that's a side rant. I would this, just say that they should all just be called comic books because that's what they are. But yeah, call, call it a salami sandwich if you want. Yeah, but I, I think this I think Midnight Circus is a is a is a good is a good story. It, it certainly works best as part of the larger Hellboy mythos. Does the yeah. Hellboy shared universe have a name? Is it the Hellboy mythos? Hellboy universe, the world of Hellboy. I've heard it referred to as the Mignolaverse. Okay, I don't love that, but okay. But I'm not sure if there is, you know, like an official name. It, I would say your two people that would want to read this would be someone who is just kind of into occulty fantasy, dark fantasy, like vertigo stuff, and you want to see some really nice art. Or, yeah, if you're into the Hellboy whole Hellboy thing and you want to read this to see how it fits into the into the Hellboy mythos. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. Yeah, I mean... Like, because it does fit really nicely into that in a way that you wouldn't expect if you, you know, haven't read a bunch of other things. But it, the art is so nice that you can appreciate it just as a as a one shot standalone story. Yeah, like I'm just flipping through it right now, and like there's a panel here where the Hellboy kid Hellboy and he spies the the circus, and you can see like the painted circus existing in the same panel with the for lack of a better term more like comic booky uh visuals you know so it's like this like portal into another world that he's like sneaking his way into yeah and, and you know like as you flip through it, it there's just so many like beautiful like images like of these ghosts like dancing around and uh, like Hellboy's sister as the uh, seductive demon lady. Which is a little weird when you know that it's the sister. Yeah. But they're demons. I guess that's the other connection between our two things is the incest angle. <laughs> the incest angle in this is very is very light and implied and can be easily ignored. Well, she is actually uh, trying to kill him. Is, uh, is her, like, a goal and the uncle... Uh, is not down for that. Um, right. But she, she clearly is trying to like lure him in. Right. With her, with her feminine wiles. Yeah. And I love the, 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 uh, like you had mentioned before how, uh, 
Mike Mignola is obsessed with puppets and there was a part where they go into like kind of a big like puppet aquarium where there's like all this like these like fish hanging from the ceiling these like fish puppets and then it like transitions into him being inside the belly of the whale like in Pinocchio yeah and it's that nice thing we mentioned this I mentioned this before too from Hellboy in Hell where it's like a story within a story within a story and there's like a meta layer of he's He's like a fictional character. I mean, obviously, he's a fictional character. He's like a comic book type character, right? He, he's like a little demon kid, right? He doesn't he doesn't look like a real person. And he's stuck in the quote unquote real world um, of the story. And he wants to join the circus, which is like another world, you know, and then he goes into a dream inside the whale. And it's like the the meta story of like the comic book character leaving the real world to go into like a fantasy world while it's a story within a story. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of the best Hellboy stories are Mike Mignola sort of like blending all of his kind of like interests into. They're, it's, they're very much like auteurist comic books in the way that they have these distinct themes and these distinct things that he loves to like blend together, like puppets or, you know, like myths or like old like uh, literature and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it do, it does a really interesting job of blending all that together in what is essentially, you know, like at the core is basically like a comic book character who punches big monsters. Yeah. And this is like him in a kid form. But um, I like how his initial adventure is he just wants to like smoke a cigarette like an right. adult. Right. He wants to like be a grown up. Because he's sitting at he lives at the BPRD center and he's like the only kid there. And he like very much feels like out of place as any kid would. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting little like meta commentary or in joke of him being such an obviously a comic book character, a little demon child that lives at a secret base being chided for reading too many comic books. Yeah. So then he reads Pinocchio, which is a story about, someone who wants to be a real boy. It's just a fun little thread. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of those fun little threads throughout it. Yeah, you know, I would... The Midnight Circus, I think, if you are someone who is more familiar with the Hellboy mythos, it definitely... Uh, you kind of pick up on all of the way it, like, weaves in all of these other, like, connections to other Hellboy stories. But even... Even if you are not, I would still think it's a really nice little self-contained read as just sort of like a beautiful dark fantasy story about a kid running away to an evil circus. Well, Mr. Dustin, do you want to recommend us something? Oh, well, I would love to. Can I recommend something first in case you were going to say the same thing that I was? I suppose. I was just going to recommend Hellboy because now upon uh, getting more into Hellboy um, as a result of partially trying to do it on this podcast. Um, and I was researching this up and there are, in fact, uh, a series of nice omnibuses where you can get all of Hellboy's like main story. Not everything is collected in it because you would have to have a degree in Hellboyology to have all of it, I think. But 
there's the four uh, Hellboy omnibuses that I do not own, but I hopefully will own in the near future or in some kind of alternate future. So that's what I'd be recommend. That's a complete like Hellboy story um, collected. If you're reading it as it comes out, it's in like a million different miniseries. But now you can just buy the the omnibus forms, and it's like the complete Hellboy story. So it'd be like four omnibuses. Actually, it's six if you count the two short stories. Midnight um, Circus is not collected in an omnibus. It it actually is collected in one. Oh, of it the, is. Which one? I believe it's collected in one of the short story omnibuses. Oh, well, okay. Then never listen to me because that shows what I know. But that's my recommendation. Hellboy omnibuses one through four have his whole like life story for the most part, um, and then yeah, short story omnibus one and two. Yeah, because it is this kind of like really sprawling fictional universe that you can kind of get into as much or as little as you want. But if you do just read the Hellboy story, like it is a story with a complete beginning, middle and end. And then the other stuff is sort of like you can get into it as much or as little as you want or not at all. What I was going to recommend is relating back to the film How I Live Now, which was not a terrible film, but not a great one, was kind of, yeah. we, were, we were both kind of mixed on. But there is actually a really good film about a child in wartime. I mean, there's there's many, but the one I was thinking of is a film called Hope and Glory, which is directed by John Borman, who is a name that oddly seems to come up pretty regularly on this podcast. We talked about yes. the movie Excalibur, and I yes. think I recommended the movie Zardas once. Yeah, we should rename it the Hellboy and John Borman podcast. I'd be okay with that. Uh, this film, I believe it's based on his own life as a kid growing up in World War II. But similar to how I live now, it sort of adopts a kid, like a kid perspective in the way that like, you know, the Germans are bombing London, but he's like really happy because his school gets blown up so he doesn't have to go to school anymore. And then he kind of has like little adventures like roaming around through the rubble. And there's like a there's like a German uh, pilot who like parachutes down into the neighborhood. And it's like a big, you know, like obviously like a big deal. And so I think it has it's a film that. I think really effectively portrays a war from the perspective of a child and how like a child would think about these events, which to an adult would perhaps be more horrific, but to a child is just like a, a excuse for like a vacation or, you know, like a, some fun adventures to get up to. Yeah. Which was, as you mentioned, the strongest part, I think of the movie, how I live now. Yeah, like that, like that first half of the movie, I was I was on board, you know, and then it kind of, um, I think, loses, it kind of spins out and then has kind of a conventional end, ending that I didn't feel strongly about. But that first half where it does have that weird juxtaposition of childhood and wartime. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's kind of like what uh, Hope and Glory is. It's a really enjoyable, uh, enjoyable film. Thanks for listening. 
You can go to our website, uh, armyofcrime.com. I am on Twitter at Army of Crime. Dustin is on Twitter at Dustin44444. Correct. Yes. And if you liked our show, the absolutely most beautiful thing you could do, and I would love you forever in exchange, would be to leave a five-star review uh, on some kind of podcatcher or app that whatever you use that helps the algorithms sort through all the podcasts out there. Our lives are ruled by algorithms and you need to feed five-star reviews to the algorithms to make them happy. So if you could feed a five-star review to the algorithm on our behalf, that would be super duper and great. Otherwise, if you want to check out um, Hellboy Midnight Circus, for example, you could go to our website um, and we try and organize it so you can find all the stuff on there. Again, I this is Matt, um, and I'm I kind of lost the thread on my spiel there. I don't know if you want to take it let me, home. Let me just say, if you don't like the show, you can also just leave a review and give us five stars. Who cares? Yeah, you know, or be we're we're uh, we're big boys. We can take take yeah, some feedback too. If say you be... say one star. This sucks. You know, whatever you want to I mean, do. That's, that's not great, but it's your life. Exactly. You got to live your life how you want, you know? Do you, you have to live your life like how Hellboy can't, you know? He's bound right. to his free, destiny, free. but you're not. You can leave yeah. as many or as few and whatever rated reviews for this podcast that you want. That's true. That's true. Any uh, final thoughts before we sign off for this uh, episode? Well, kids, remember that Running away to join an evil circus might sound like fun, but it's not a good idea. Couldn't have said it better myself. I just said the word episode.